Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. This morning we have the joy of having Anna share with us. Yay, Anna, why don't you come up? Um, Anna's going to be continuing our, uh, seri- our I Am series on the st- I Am Statements of Jesus. And so we're really looking forward uh, to hearing what you have for us this morning. Uh, why don't we ex- uh, extend a hand as I pray for Anna? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, Lord. And I thank you that all the way through your word, you, you tell us and show us who you are. I just pray that you would be with Anna now, that you would guide her thoughts and her words and all that she's prepared, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and that we would hear what you have for us and take away what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Just like Bonnie was saying, we have been looking at a series of statements that Jesus has made about himself in the book of John. So we've heard about Jesus as the light of the world, and we've also looked at Jesus as our good shepherd. Uh, More than any other gospel, the book of John looks at these claims that Jesus makes about himself. And it looks at the identity that he reveals to us that he has. So this morning, the claim that we are looking at and we are focusing on is Jesus as the bread of life. And we can find this in John chapter 6. Now, any of you who know me well will know that I have a bit of a soft spot for bread making. Uh, Is there any other bread makers here this morning? Yes? (laughs) Uh, I first discovered bread making when my children were very, very small. And with three children under the age of four years, this was a really, really nice way for me to calm my often frazzled thoughts. I, I love every part of the process, from the kneading of the dough through to the baking of the bread and, and particularly the eating of it afterwards. Uh, but even as much as I love bread making... As I've pondered this claim over the last few weeks, I felt this deepening sense of curiosity. Why bread? Out of all of the analogies that Jesus could have made about himself, why would bread help us to understand his identity a little bit more clearly? Well, believe it or not, There is a theme of bread, which is woven throughout the Old Testament. And when you see it, when you look for it, it's amazing to see how much it pops up all the time. Uh, But before we dig into the Bible, and before we have a look at all of these claims and all of this theme more deeply, we're going to pause and consider a question that, that cuts right to the heart of this theme of bread. So my question for you this morning is, are you hungry? Now, if I was to ask this question to my 11-year-old twins, the answer immediately and emphatically would be yes. 
any time of the day. But the hunger that we're referring to here, it goes deeper than physical hunger. It refers to a deep yearning, a deep desire that we can all find within ourselves. It's that feeling that gnaws at us to find meaning, identity, and purpose in life. Our souls are hungry, and they definitely seek fulfillment. So what is your soul hungry for? How are you trying to fulfill these cravings? Well, the Hebrew word for bread is this word lechem. And it often carries with it an idea of fulfillment, satisfaction, and nourishment. And as we look to the beginning of the biblical narrative, we see that the original blueprint for humanity was that life would be good, fulfilling, satisfying. In the opening chapters of Genesis, God creates this good world and then takes up residence in Eden with his people. Now, when I picture Eden, I very much do picture a place where people hung out with God day after day. Probably my idea of a never-ending holiday, really. But the biblical narrative does describe something very different. It describes humans being formed and appointed as representatives of God's rule over creation. Uh, they're given the task to steward and protect God's good world. This activity and work of humanity was part of their core identity and purpose. And it was fulfilling and it was good until they chose to believe the great lie. We're no strangers to this lie, are we? This voice that subtly distracts us and offers us alternatives to the path in which God leads us. The serpent offers Adam and Eve an alternative to the sustenance that God had provided. And its fruit looks delicious and appealing. And they hungered for it. They hungered for the right to define their own wisdom rather than partnering with God and following his lead. It's here, after Adam and Eve consume this fruit, that we first find the word lehem. As we read of the consequences of sin, so in Genesis chapter 3, and this is in the NRSV, if you want to follow along, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, lehem, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
sin had some pretty harsh consequences for Adam and Eve. The very earth which they were created to tend becomes hard to manage and characterized by toil. Instead of being productive, the earth brings forth thorns and thistles. Instead of fulfillment, there is this sense of struggle and dissatisfaction as they seek to fulfill their most basic needs. Well, when we fast forward to the next chapter of the Bible, Exodus, we see these very consequences of the fall in the Israelites as they struggle under the oppression, slavery, and injustice that they're suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. But God steps into this desolate picture and proves himself to be Jehovah Jireh, the great provider of their needs. He sees Israel's need and provides for them by setting them free. And Israel's trust is soon put to the test in God. As one month later, all of the food and the provisions that they've taken with them out of Egypt begins to run out. As we read this narrative, we're meant to ask ourselves, is Israel going to look to God to provide for them? Their great Jehovah Jireh. But this is hard for the Israelites. It's hard for us, isn't it? But despite their struggle, despite their grumblings, God provides for them. He abundantly and freely provides them with lahem, bread from heaven, which later becomes known as manna. Soon after, God instructs the Israelites to build a tabernacle, a place where he can once again be with his people, dwell with them once more. And inside, he asks them to put a table. And on this table each Sabbath, the priests are meant to place 12 loaves of freshly baked lehem. This is called the bread of presence, or more literally translated, the bread of faces. This bread offering carried an idea that as the people came to offer this offering before God, they were coming before the very face of God. So fast forward 1,500 years. Now we find ourselves in the promised land, in the land of Israel. The Israelites are once again suffering under oppression from a foreign power and looking to God for a deliverer. And it's here that we zoom in on a small, out-of-the-way town, Bethlehem, or more literally translated, the house of bread. Here we find Emmanuel, God with us, the face of God, here to deliver us, to reestablish God's rule and reign, to provide for his people and bring freedom to the chaos that sin has brought. So it's quite obvious that there's some significance to this theme of bread in the Bible. But how does this link to Jesus' claim of being the bread of life. 
Well, we're going to look at John chapter 6 right now. And this time we're going to switch to the Passion Translation. So if you want to follow along, make sure that you've got the Passion Translation there on your phone. Uh, let's have a look at the context of what's going on. So Jesus and his disciples, they are in a wilderness mountainside area, which is called Bethsaida. Now, from the other Gospels, we know that the disciples and Jesus have just been reunited. Jesus has sent his disciples out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And they've just come back together. We know they're grieving because John the Baptist has just been executed. We know, or we can read into the story, that they're exhausted because they're trying to find some peace and quiet from the crowds. And this is why they've retreated to this wilderness area in the middle of nowhere. But uh, the crowds follow them. They do not find solace from these crowds. In fact, the numbers of Jesus searching, the number of people searching for Jesus have swelled to 5,000 men. Add to that the women and children who are in that crowd, and we can probably double the number of people who are there searching for him. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, we see Jesus and his disciples at the top of this hill looking down at this swelling crowd who's coming towards them. This is where it starts to get really interesting. Now, there's one more detail. Just bear with me that I want to tell you before we go on. This is near the time of Passover. Now, for us, we may not have much of an understanding of what Passover was to the Jews. But this was a time of intense nationalistic zeal. It's a time when they remembered God had in the past delivered them from the Egyptians. And in this climate, people were looking for another deliverer. So the people had this story of Moses very much on their mind. The disciples would have had this on their mind too. So let's go back to the story. They see this crowd of people swelling towards them. Jesus turns to his disciple Philip and says, where will we find food for these people? Now, this question is not as random as it may seem. Philip was a resident of Bethsaida, so he would be really, really familiar with where you could go and buy food in this area. As we read this, we are meant to think to ourselves, is Philip going to look to God to provide? Let's see. I love the mention of Jesus' intention here. It says, now Jesus already knew what he was about to do. But he said this, where can we get food? To stretch Philip's faith. Well, Philip doesn't actually reply by giving a location where they can buy food. Not at all. Uh, instead, he decides to remind Jesus how expensive it would be to provide for all of these people. Remember, we're thinking 10,000 people. It's a lot of mouths to feed. Philip answered, well, I suppose if we were to give everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. A staggering sum. 
way beyond what the disciples were carrying with them, an amount way beyond their means. But the disciples obey. They begin to inventory what they have with them. It's Andrew who makes his report to Jesus. Look, here is a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go in this huge crowd? Now, the mention of barley loaves here is very intentional. The poor would eat barley loaves. Whereas those people who are better off would eat bread that was made from wheat. And this fish seems to be maybe a few dried or preserved fish. This is a simple lunch. A meagre lunch for the poor. And Andrew is emphasising how inadequate their supplies are in the face of this gargantuan problem. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation like this, where the enormity of the situation, the impossibility of it, just seems like it is way beyond any natural resolution. How often in these situations do we first look to our lack rather than first to God and his faithfulness, his goodness? This is the exact lesson Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. And it's the exact lesson that God continues to remind throughout the Old Testament again and again. He continues to remind people he is Jehovah Jireh, the great provider of our needs. He sees us and he provides abundantly for our needs. And when our resources are tiny, compared to the need, then we know that it's God and not ourselves. It's only now, as the disciples decide to risk and obey Jesus, that they begin to see what God can do with what they do have. Jesus takes the loaves and the fishes. He gives thanks, and the disciples begin to distribute the bread to the people. Can you imagine how the disciples would have felt beginning to distribute this pauper's lunch? Can you imagine maybe they might have been embarrassed, off-handed excuses for this unusual course of events, maybe. Yet they obey. And they begin to distribute the food And the crowds eat until they are satisfied. But the lesson isn't finished yet. Jesus instructs the disciples to begin collecting the leftovers. Not one bit is to be wasted. Amazingly, after thousands have been fed, there's more left over than there was to begin with. There is such a contrast here between the disciples and the stretching of their faith and the obedience that they show in trusting Jesus. And then the response of the crowds. 
You see, the disciples chose to trust Jesus, even when it made no sense at all, even when they're exhausted. But the crowds weren't interested in who Jesus was. They were interested in what he could do for them. Maybe provide them with free food or rise up and lead them in a rebellion against the Romans. To the point where the crowds are beginning to consider making Jesus their leader by force. So, Jesus puts an end to their designs. He sends the disciples out across the lake, dismisses the crowds, and Jesus retreats up into a solitary place. The next day, the crowds continue searching for Jesus. Little do they know that during the night, Jesus had walked across the water to the disciples in their boat, calmed a storm, and then immediately took the boat to the other side. I encourage you to read that section of John. It's incredible. So the crowds, being determined to find Jesus, continue looking for him, and even go across the lake to Capernaum, when they can't find him there. Now, they're naturally curious as to how Jesus could so quickly cross this body of water because they knew that he was on the other side on his own just the night before. The parallels in their mind are clear to the people. They saw Moses, who had provided manna for the Israelites in the desert in this wilderness area. Jesus had provided bread, a miracle of bread, to thousands in the wilderness also. Moses had parted the Red Sea. Had Jesus somehow performed some similar miracle to get across the lake so quickly? Well, Jesus' response to the people is fascinating. Jesus replied, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? I, the son of man, am ready to give you what matters most. For God the Father has destined me for this purpose. These people were hungry for a specific type of leader. They hungered for a second Moses, a deliverer who could rise up and deliver them from physical hunger and give them earthly victory. They had a fixed understanding of who God was and a fixed expectancy of how God would move in the world. They place the great I am into a box of their own understanding and lost their curiosity and hunger for seeking after him and seeing the new thing that he was doing. So much so that they missed God, even when he was standing right there in front of them. This morning, Jesus says the same words to us. 
I am the bread of life. Come every day to me and you will never be hungry. So once again, I ask you, are you hungry? What is your soul hungry for? And how are you fulfilling these needs? We all experience a deep hunger of the soul. And let's be honest, life is hard. It's wearing and it could be easy to see more of the toil and dissatisfaction than it can be to see the fullness of life that God so freely provides. At times, our hunger can feel overwhelming. But this morning, we remember that Jesus came down to be our deliverer and to satisfy our soul's hunger. We remember that Jesus promises us, I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullest until you overflow. As we delve into what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life, we remember that Jesus is the complete fulfillment of all of the New Te Old Testament promises. And he has completely paid the consequences of our sins. We remember that he took the curse of humanity's sin, of thorns and thistles on the earth, when he bore the crown of thorns on his head. We remember that he bore the curse of toil and dissatisfaction when his body was broken for us. Now through his life and resurrection, we have fullness of life. Our hunger is satisfied. But Jesus calls from us a response. An action is required. He says, come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Just as each day, our physical hunger returns and we need to fill ourselves anew with food. So we must come every day to fill ourselves with Jesus, to trust him, to fill us fresh and to meet all of our needs for that day. The same God who provided abundantly in the Bible. He provides abundantly today. Perhaps this morning you've walked in with little. Perhaps you feel like you're running on empty, scraping the barrel of life. Today God reminds us he has lavish abundance to meet the needs of his people. You may feel as though all you have is a pauper's lunch, but he has enough to satisfy us abundantly. And he will let nothing be wasted. Perhaps this morning 
you're beginning to get a niggling sense that you've been trying to satisfy your soul's hunger with other things. Our world is so good at redirecting our eyes to the things we need, the desire for power, acceptance and material possessions. They are very real. But none of these things can ever satisfy. Today, Jesus says to us, come every day to me and you will never be hungry. Perhaps this morning you're beginning to suspect like the Jewish crowds that maybe you've lost your hunger. You've lost your curiosity for digging in and finding more about God. Perhaps you became so certain in who God was and how he moves that you placed him in a box of your own understanding. And by boxing him in, you are missing the very fingerprints and movements of God around you every day. May we be a people whose hunger and curiosity drives us deeper so that our understanding and our experience of God grows bigger and more expansive every single day. May we continue to taste and see that the Lord is good and allow the great I am to break down any boxes that we've sought to contain him in. So instead of just talking about it, we're going to do it. We can't talk about food and about hunger and not come before the one who satisfies. This Pentecost, we remember, as we do every day, that God, he saw our need. He saw that we needed him close with us and provided the Holy Spirit. So let's join together and invite him to speak to the deepest parts of us. I'm going to invite you to stand just to get a bit of a different, a different stance. But after this, as we're praying, please feel free to change positions. If you're more comfortable sitting, if you're more comfortable lying down on the ground, standing, please. The thing this morning which is important is not the way that we come before God, it's that we come. So this morning... As we pray, as we start to seek God, I'm going to start with two Bible verses. I'm going to read them out loud. And then we're just going to wait. We're going to wait on him and let him satisfy us. So let's come before him. Oh, Jesus, we hunger for you this morning. We hunger for you. Lord, this morning we pray for more of you, an abundance of you to be here with us. From Isaiah 55, listen. Are you thirsty for more? 
come to refreshing waters and drink. Why spend your hard-earned money on something that cannot nourish you or work so hard for something that cannot satisfy? Pay attention. Come closer to me and hear that your total being may flourish. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Lord, we come before you and wait. We pray for more of you, Lord. Just want to encourage you if um, if you're one of those people who just know you need more, you want more of the Lord. You know, maybe it's you need the Lord to increase your hunger. That's the more you need. You want, or you just need. You know, you just need more of Him. I'd love to just encourage you to put your hand up right now where you are. Just raise your hand. If you know that, um, yeah, that you need that more. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so I just want to encourage uh, those that are around you. Um, if you see somebody with a hand up, I'd just love you to... Uh, just appropriately, obviously, go and just lay a hand and bless what the Lord is doing right now. We're not necessarily going to ask what's going on, but just let's pray for each other more, Lord, more Holy Spirit, more of you. So just look around you and go and lay a hand on somebody. <clears throat> 